Thanks for tuning in to the Workplace Edit. I'm Gemma Saunders and in this podcast we get to explore all the ways in which we can edit the workplace to include more people and achieve better business outcomes. In today's episode, we are going to explore how the workplace supports working parents, and we are going to look at the policies, practices, culture, and also the outcomes, and look at the state of parenting in Australia and how the workplace really stacks up to support parents and get the best out of its parenting workforce. So uh, that's today's episode, and uh, look forward to having you join the conversation. So we're going to start by exploring some of the labels we use in our policies and in the language at work. And we're going to really question whether they still have relevance today. And I think the best starting point for us is really this idea of primary and secondary carers um, and this idea of um, a modern family as opposed to a kind of breadwinner, um, heteronormative model. Uh, So I actually invited my five-year-old son to get his views on on families and on the labels that we use in the workplace to see if they actually are, um, if they are languages that we use in day-to-day life. So here's what Quinn had to say. Okay, we've got Quinn with us today and we're going to talk about different types of families and Quinn is going to tell us about his family. So, Quinn, you're five years old and I want you to tell me who's They're in your family. Mummy, Mama, Kit, Frankie and Pablo. Okay, and do you have a dad? No. Okay, so do you, you have two mums, right? Yes. Okay, cool. And do you know what primary carer means? Uh, No. No, no. Do you know what secondary carer means? No? No. No, okay. And do you think your mummy and mama do the same kind of jobs as parents for you? Mm, little bit. Little bit, yeah. Do you think that one one mummy and mum, mama does the most jobs? Most jobs? Who does the most? Mm, I think mummy. Mummy does the most jobs. Who yeah. Does the, who does the most cuddles? Mama. Okay. Who does the most cooking? Mama. Who does the most taking the bins out? Mummy. Ah, oh, see? So, but do you think it's fair? Um, the workload? Do you think it's mm, fair? Mm, little bit. Little bit fair? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks for telling us all about your family. Now it's gone. So there's two things I took away from Quinn's interpretation of our family unit. One, I need to take the bins out more and that our distribution of labour across our family is fairly, fairly shared, but we do different things. And the second is that the labels we use in the workplace do not translate to the family unit. So we do not use that language in our households. It's not something that a child would refer to us as. So it doesn't really make sense to continue with this language of a primary and an other parent or a secondary parent. And that exercise is actually a really interesting one to do with your kids. I'd highly recommend that you have a conversation and ask your children how they see your family unit and how they see the division of labor and uh, that gives you a basis for making some changes around how you all pull together as a family um, in your household. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about what the state of play is for parents in Australia. And right now, 25% of the Australian population are aged um, 0 to 19. So you can make some decent assumptions that they are being cared for by an adult. So we have a large proportion of people who are working who are also caring for someone who is young. Now, if we add on to that the state of play for carers in Australia, one in nine Australians are either informal or quite often unpaid carers for people with disabilities, health conditions, or aging family members. So you can really look to those stats and see that if someone's not a parent, they may well be a carer for someone, or in some situations, your employees will be parents and also caring for an aging family member or someone in their family with a health condition or disability. So there is a larger life view that needs to be taken when looking at your workplace policies and practices because when we fail to design with the whole person in mind, it will lead to issues of disengagement, attrition and low productivity. So it makes sense to design with the whole of person in mind. I think as an extension to that, when PwC did some research around the unpaid economy, it was estimated at 2.2 trillion. And I mean, that's huge. And um, that would be, of course, if we cared enough to actually measure it, but that was their their uh, their prediction. So I guess the question I keep coming back to is that, you know, if I care for my child eight hours a day, it seems to have no economic value. However, if I put my child into a daycare facility, it seems to have economic value. And so we have this tendency to ignore the work. It's this invisible and hidden work of caring. And we don't see it in the workplace. And therefore, the workplace is designed without acknowledging this unpaid work. And I think recent times have showed us that people do have children. They've been running in the back of our Zoom calls. They've been popping up in our conference calls a little bit more frequently as we have been homeschooling and working remotely. And so now is the time to recognize the whole of the person and the parent part of the person, the carer part of the person as well. And uh, today we're going to talk about some of the ways you can edit your workplace to take that into consideration. Okay, so we are going to talk across three areas, actually, of your parents at work experience. And the first is the policies. So main ones here are really your parental leave policies, your leave policies more broadly, uh, so personal leave, caring leave, etc. And the other policy is really flexible work. So we're going to talk a little bit about those. The second area we will explore is the practice in your workplace. So some of the practices, how people are promoted, how development opportunities are accessed, redundancies, restructures, role designs, etc. And then the final area is really around the outcomes. So what are the things you are prioritizing? What are the things you are measuring when it comes to the experience of parents and how that interplays with your gender equality targets, efforts, and outcomes? So they're the three areas we're going to explore. So first up, let's talk policy. So we'll start with the parental leave policy. The first invitation I have for you here is to really review your parental leave policy in a way that, one, looks at 
how you're recognizing all of the ways in which families are formed and found. So inclusion of surrogacy, adoption, kinship care, permanent foster caring arrangements, adoption, etc. It all needs to be included in there. So I think there's one step to look at gender neutral language, but there's really that extension further to make sure you are including all the ways in which families are found and formed. And I'd also encourage you to look at the inclusion of uh, stillbirth in your policy and really think about if an employee was going through a situation where they had a stillbirth situation, how would they read themselves into your policy and would it be vague? And you have a real opportunity here to make sure that they are able to access a policy clearly and that this doesn't add extra emotional burden onto them at that point. So that's my first invitation is really to explore all of the types of families that are included in your policy and how children come into the family unit through birth, adoption, surrogacy, kinship, care, etc. The second point of the policy I want to really echo is for you to look through it and genuinely examine it for where it might be perpetuating gender bias or stereotypes. So when I say primary, you're highly likely to think female. And when I say secondary, you're probably going to think male. And so I really would encourage you that if you do adopt those labels within your policy, to look at your data in terms of the uptake of both of those leave types and see which gender is more likely to take which leave type. And if your female workforce are taking the primary predominantly and your male workforce are taking your secondary carer option, I would argue that your policy is not as neutral um, as you think. And whilst the language might be, the culture and practice that you've set around it might still need some work to encourage equal participation from parents of all genders. So there are there are kind of my tips for your parental leave policy. I think then it's really important that you look at your flexible work policy. Take a look at do you have one? Do you not have one but you have some practices? Really take the opportunity to think about how much choice you are providing parents with in terms of how they can work flexibly and look at all of the ways in which your roles can flex and not every type of flexibility is going to work for every role. It's really about finding the best fit as opposed to the best practice flexible work model for your organization. So definitely take a look at that. And again, if you have a policy, but really the only people working flexibly are your lower band um, or lower paid employees, and particularly those who are female, there's definitely some work you can do to ensure that everyone has the comfort and the access to those flexible work policies, regardless of their parental status, regardless of um, a number of other aspects of their life. So take a look at that. Okay, so we're going to head over to the second part of the discussion today, which is really around your workplace practices. So I want to explore a few areas of the workplace that really will reinforce to your people that you care about them being parents and you care about their whole 
person. So the first is really around having a parental leave keep in touch program or making sure that you have a deliberately designed experience for people taking parental leave, which means supporting them when they're expecting a baby and when they are on leave and when they return from leave. And a big shout out to Circle In, who are an organization who are just nailing this and providing a really consistent and well thought out experience for parents in the workplace and making sure that organizations can genuinely back their statements when they say they encourage their staff to bring their whole selves to work, uh, especially parents at work. So what Circle In have really recognized is that there's an opportunity to make the workplace work for modern parents and all types of parents. And they provide an experience model that supports the leader with all kinds of tools and resources to enable a great experience for people who go on leave and who are on leave and who return from leave. And that a that sort of adoption of a tool like Circle In allows you to, to back that commitment. So definitely look at how you are deliberately designing that experience and the tools and resources you don't have to develop yourself. You can partner with someone like Circle In and um, and really be confident when you say that you support working parents. Another is looking at the physical space in your workplace. I mean, one key sign is if you have more beer kegs or ping pong tables than you do parents' rooms, then you probably need to reevaluate how you're using your physical space. So consider how you are providing the provision of breastfeeding rooms, access to PowerPoints and kitchenette facilities for parents who require access to a parent's room. And look at, you know, this idea of offboarding and re-onboarding your employees and making sure that, you know, they don't return to uh, a desk that someone else has taken over or that their personal belongings are shoved into a lost property locker because um, you haven't really considered their offboarding or re-onboarding experience. Another area that quite frankly gets left behind is career development. So certainly look at the ways in which your recruitment team or your people leaders can access the people on parental leave as a talent pool for future opportunities. Simply asking the question, do you want to be contacted for internal opportunities whilst you're on leave is a great question that allows your team to proactively um, invite those people to apply for promotions and career mobility options within the organization. Uh, And I guess you could go a step further and look at all the ways in which you support parents with things like access to childcare arrangements, on-site kids clubs, on-site daycare facilities, or at least look at the way in which organizations such as Google provide convenience as opposed to completely free or subsidized um, model. So quite a lot of the benefits that Google offer are really around making it super easy and convenient for their employees to access um, things like benefits and um, and childcare facilities, as an example. So they're really the key practices. And one I, I really want to talk about briefly is looking at your redeployment and redundancy 
practices and making sure that parents, people on leave or those who have just returned aren't disproportionately impacted by redundancy. So a simple thing you can do there is really put a fresh lens over these decisions and make sure that if you have data that says if that person is on leave at the moment or has just returned, that can be part of your decision-making process to make sure that bias isn't coming into play. We do have a tendency, I think, to really recognize uh, the immediate short-term situation. And when someone is out of sight, they can be out of mind. And so really putting that flag on any decisions allows you to ask the question, are we are we looking at recency bias here? Um, or, you know, is there some distance bias because the person is not physically present and in our workforce or hasn't been recently, are they more likely to be impacted by roles um, being uh, taken out of the organisation. So that's just one that you can do that's super practical. The other one, the third one that I really want to talk to you about was the outcomes. So one of the outcomes that you can look at when looking at parental leave is uh, how are people who have just returned from parental leave experiencing your organisation? So when you're doing a survey, you know, ask the question, have you been on parental leave within the last 12 months? And then you're able to look at that data and see if that population are experiencing the workplace in a different way. And that will allow you to really get into the why and put in place relevant interventions that support their engagement at work. Another is the promotion rates of people who have been on leave and who have recently returned. And um, I think, you know, the experience combined with the opportunities and the promotion rates will really give you a view as to how parents are experiencing your workplace. So the final one, as I said, is to look at the outcomes um, through data um, from your people systems, promotions, mobility, etc., and also any survey or engagement data that you've got. And that kind of wraps up the three stages of opportunity that you've got in your organization. So number one is your policy, number two is your practice and culture, and the third one are really looking at the outcomes and measures. So just before we wrap up this episode, we're going to take one question from a listener today and explore that question. So we're going to head over to the messages now, take a listen and give some views. I'd like to know what we can do to encourage more men to take parental leave. That's a great question. And in Australia, 95% of paid parental leave is taken by women and only 5% taken by men. So it's a great question. And Australia is definitely behind other OECD countries when it comes to male participation in parental leave. So what can we do? Well, the first one is policy redesign, as I've mentioned. So your policy should really talk about parental leave and ideally remove those labels that do perpetuate a stereotype, primary female, secondary male. So if you can, I would highly suggest removing those and resetting the permission across your organisation and across the genders in your organisation that parental leave is accessible to all types of parents. And if you do continue with the labels of primary and secondary 
I'd highly recommend that you share and showcase some of the statistics around men taking leave and sharing the stories of um, men taking leave within your organization. And when you do this, also look at showing stories of different types of men, uh, different cultures and different positions within the organization. So uh, yeah, I would definitely look at storytelling um, beyond the policy and I'd look at the conversations that your leaders are having. So when someone says that they are expecting a baby, the same kind of conversation should unravel um, other than maybe the one around how you are experiencing morning sickness, but the same conversations should really unravel um, across any gender. So should really be around what are your intentions of taking leave? How can we support you during this time around your um, this new new phase of life for you and how can we support you at work so really making sure that the conversations aren't gendered um, and that you're still asking the men in your organization their intentions for taking leave rather than really relying them on them to prompt the conversation with you they would be my main ones So thank you so much for letting me talk about parents in the workplace today. And I invite you all to go and take a critical look at the policies, practices and outcomes in your organization and hit me up if you have any questions. But thanks for listening to the Workplace Edit. I'm Gemma Saunders and thanks again.